The Radio Memories Network is brought to you in part by Liberated Syndication. Podcast publishing made easy. Libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. Hello and welcome once again to the Radio Detective Story Hour. Your comments are always welcome, and you can make them by going to the website at radiomemories.libsyn.com. You can also send me an email about this podcast at otrpodcast at gmail.com. That's otrpodcast at gmail.com. Girl, I've got to know what goes. Last night, someone ran me down. Later on, they killed an old man who tried to tell me something. My nerves are like radar, and they're sending out all kinds of danger signals. I'm on somebody's list. Whose list, doll girl? Come on, give. Many of the detectives I have featured on this program so far found their origination in both the pulp magazines and novels of the early 30s. Both Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler, creators of Sam Spade and Philip Marlowe, respectively, appeared in Black Mask magazine. Tonight I feature another detective who had his roots in the pulp magazines, Michael Shane. Shane is the creation of writer Brett Halliday, a pseudonym for Davis Dresser, a prolific pulp fiction writer of western romance, adventure, and mystery stories. Shane made his first appearance in a novel called Divided on Death, which later became a film called Michael Shane, Private Detective, starring Lloyd Nolan as Shane. The character was described in the novels as well as on radio, as you will hear in this clip. Michael Shane, reckless, red-headed Irishman, back in his old haunts in New Orleans, ready as always to risk his neck for law, order, and an occasional dollar. The Lloyd Nolan film launched a sort of series of film about Shane starring Nolan in the role. There were seven starring Nolan, and then Hugh Beaumont of Leave it to Beaver fame took over for five more films. On radio, there were three series. The first starring Wally Mayer as Shane ran over ABC from October 1944 through November 1947. Then in 1948, producer Don A. Sharp created a syndicated series that ran for two years, which was picked up by the Mutual Broadcasting System. This series starred then-rising actor Jeff Chandler in the role. Oddly, the character was set in New Orleans, even though the books were typically set in Miami, Florida, with his offices on Flagler Street. Chandler, who you will hear tonight in an audition episode, is very good in the role. The scripts tended to overuse pulp cliché phrases such as, a house as black as a mug of GI coffee, or hanging like a pig in a butcher shop, but otherwise are very suspenseful. The final series on radio began over ABC in October 1952 for one season, starring Donald Curtis in the role, later replaced by Robert Sterling of Topper fame. As I have mentioned before, television was taking the drama and viewers from radio. 
1960, Michael Shane made a one-season appearance starring Richard Denning as the detective. Overall, the series you will hear tonight is not bad radio, though the late 40s was when listeners could choose among many radio detectives. So give this one a try. Here is Jeff Chandler in The New Adventures of Michael Shane from 1948. Look, doll girl, I've got to know what goes. Last night, someone ran me down. Later on, they killed an old man who tried to tell me something. My nerves are like radar, and they're sending out all kinds of danger signals. I'm on somebody's list. Whose list, doll girl? Come on, give. The New Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective. Michael Shane, reckless, red-headed Irishman, back in his old haunts in New Orleans ready as always to risk his neck for law, order, and an occasional dollar. Listen now as we bring you The New Adventures of Michael Shane. Hello. Michael Shane, private detective. Speaking. Mr. Shane, I have a job for you, but I can't pay you very much. Keep talking, I'm listening. My name is Marina Laurie. I want you to come over to 1612 Wentworth Street. I meet you on the porch. On the porch? Yes, this is why I call you. My father has locked all the doors and windows. He's in the house, sitting in the dark, waiting. Waiting for what? For death, Mr. Shane. Now we return to New Orleans and a new adventure with Michael Shane. I was on my way across New Orleans to see Marina LaRue, whose papa was waiting for death. The 1612 Wentworth Street was a couple of minutes by cab in ordinary times, but these were not ordinary times. It was taking me a half hour to walk it. Yeah, yeah, this had been a bad month for little Mike. Police headquarters had suspended my license for 60 days for being a stunk. But even stunks have stomachs and creditors. And that last buck in my wallet was so lonely it was getting psychoneurotic. So, license or no license, I wasn't letting Marina LaRue get away. Just like she said, she was waiting on the porch and she was some baby doll. Creole from way back and round and ripe like a cantaloupe busting its seams. Only I'd been living on shredded wheat and canned milk for so long, all Marina LaRue meant to me then was ham and eggs and pork chops and maybe pie a la mode. Mr. Shane. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I'm half out of my mind. I don't want to call the police if nothing is really wrong. Hey, hey, slow down, slow down, you. Your father's inside the house? Yes. He has been in there for the last eight days, just sitting in his room in the dark. Like I said, waiting for death. What's the matter? Is he sick? No. He's as healthy as you or I. That's why I don't understand. Tonight, he won't even let me in the house. He has locked all the doors and the windows. I, I don't know what to think. Well, I think we ought to tap a brick against one of those windows and have a talk with Papa. Yes. Yeah, but first I ought to tell you that I, I break windows and talk to Papa's who wait for death for something more than the sheer joy of it. For something like 20 bucks a day, you uh, you understand that, of course. I told you I'd pay you. Okay. I always like to begin business on a friendly basis. Now, oh, where's that brick? I broke the window, reached in and unlocked it, and then slid over the sill. The house was as black as a mug of GI coffee. I found a light switch and clicked it back and forth, but nothing happened. And I let the girl in through the front door. Come on in. What happened to the lights? I don't know. Where is Papa? Yeah. Papa! Papa! A 
started lighting matches and we wandered through the house. But Bob, where are you? A single flare of light cast crazy shadows against the walls and the ceiling. But you got the screwy feeling that the house itself was alive and watching you. Except for our footsteps, there wasn't a sound. But Bob, where are you? Oh, my error. Yeah, yeah, there was a sound, all right, coming from the next room down the hall. I felt a nerve deep down inside me start jangling like a burglar alarm. Papa! I knew that sound like I know my heartbeat. We were at the door of the room. I struck another match and the girl saw it. No. No, Papa! No, Papa! He was hanging like a pig in a butcher shop, tied to the chandelier. His head lolled on his shoulder and his eyes stared up at nothing at all. Then suddenly the girl's sobbing ended as so somebody clamped a hand over her mouth. When she spoke, she sounded like a stranger. Strike another man. Hold it close to him. Wasn't one look enough? Strike a match. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Funny, Mark. Looks like a brand or something. A coiled snake. I should have known. I should have known that's why he was so frightened. That is who he was waiting for. Anthony Hey, kid, snap out of it. And what's wrong with you? What are you talking about? Who's Corell? I didn't say... I didn't... Hey, 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 hey! Call the police. Tell them my father committed suicide. And then go away. I did what the lady said. I called the cops, collected my 20 bucks, and beat it. Because if the police found me working without a license, they might send me to bed without supper. With 20 bucks, I was once again a man of distinction. So I took a cab downtown. On the way, I debated whether to sample Antoine's elegant crawfish or Galatoire's savory bouillabaisse. And I settled for Charlie's hash and beer. Charlie was an ancient, moth-eaten character who kept a basement bar on Beale Street just so he'd have somebody to talk to. And there weren't many customers tonight, and he stayed close to me, polishing the mahogany and looking annoyed. New Orleans. How quaint. Huh? Yeah, that's what they said. How quaint. What are you talking about, Charlie? Tourists I'm talking about. Six of them. Came down a while back from Peoria. They said, just looking. They said, how All right, quaint. All right, pour me they... another one, Shirley. Yeah, okay, okay, Mike. Uh, quaint, they think this is. I should have told them how my place used to be. Uh, the cockfights we had right there in the center of the floor by candlelight. And the 12 ladies from Natchez doing the can-can. Peoria. Charlie. Huh? Did you ever hear of anyone named Anthony Carell? Charlie, I'm talking to you. I heard you, Sheen. Well? You better stick to looking through hotel transoms and forget Anthony Carell. Why? Because it's something out of the past. Something that hasn't got any place in this world. What are you talking about? You see, according to the story, there's something special about Anthony Carell. Special? Yeah. He ain't like you and me, Shane. You see, Anthony Carell ain't never gonna die. That tickled me. Oh. I finished my drink, waved goodbye to old Charlie, yelled something about getting Carell's formula and putting Perona out of business, and then I was on my way. The air was better outside, and I decided to walk. a nice, quiet street. Great place to start a cemetery. As it turned out, I was just the kid to start one. I didn't hear the car behind me. All I saw was the cab on the next corner. The cab driver was leaning against the open door waiting for me. I stepped off the curb and a couple of headlights... Hey, then I was rolling on cobblestones, watching a red taillight disappear in the distance. Next thing, the, the cab driver was bending over me. You okay, Pally? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess so. 
Take me home, will you? That sure was close. No, no, I just got careless crossing the street. Careless? <laughs> I was watching, Pally. That car followed you for maybe two blocks, waiting to get a chance at you. Huh? Yeah. Somebody in this town don't like you very much, Pally. The cabbie drove Pally home. Between my evening of hilarity and my nosedive in the gutter, I felt kind of rocky. As soon as I got in the room, I flopped down and bid and bid the world good night. But the world wasn't finished with me. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. Frank, this is Charlie. Oh, yeah, Charlie. Listen to me, boy. Something funny is going on. Yeah, yeah, buddy. They're trying to scare me. But old Charlie's been around too long to scare. Oh, good for old Charlie. You come on over now. I'll tell you what they're up to, boy. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, You come sure. on over right away. Okay, okay. You know where I bunk? In the room behind the bar. Just knock on the front door. Howdy, Jim. Yeah, Get yeah. here quick as you can. Sure, sure. Sure, Charlie. Sure. The last thing I saw before I fell asleep again was the luminous green dial on my bedside clock. 3.47. It said 10.20 when I saw it again. The room was lousy with sunshine. I was brushing my teeth and trying to avoid my reflection in the mirror when I remember Charlie calling me. I found the phone number of his joint in the book and I called him. Only it wasn't Charlie who answered. Yeah? I want to speak to Charlie. Uh, just let me talk to Charlie. Sorry, Mr. Charlie isn't here. Well, where is he? They took him to the morgue an hour ago. He's dead. Now, back to New Orleans to the new adventures of Michael Caine. beginning, it hadn't made much sense. Marino LaRue calling me to break into her father's house. Him hanging from the chandelier with a snake brand on his forehead. And now old Charlie dead. Well, I went down to the morgue. The attendant took me to the basement where Charlie was on his table. Lieutenant Burns of headquarters was just taking a peek. Nasty, you redhead. Yeah. Yeah, next a bum sheep for a butcher knife. What's that on his forehead? Mm. Looks like a brand. Like a coiled snake. I probably banged his head. It's nothing. Well, you want to bet, Lieutenant? Hey, look, Shane, what are you doing around here? You're not forgetting that your license is suspended. Oh, a guy can get in here without a license? Look at Charlie. All he had was a license to sell bad boots. You're not doing any work for anybody? No. No, I'm just keeping it trained. Come on, be a good boy, redhead. You've only got a couple of weeks to go. Then it'll be legal for you to start bothering us. Burns, tell me about Anthony Carell. Who? Sometimes called the uh, the deathless one. Oh my back! Don't tell me that's going around again. Well, what about it? Oh, that's what I love about this town. No matter how modern it may look on the outside, underneath it's still a jungle. Still dancing the voodoo drums. Voodoo? Yeah. Every so often, some scared sucker comes in and whispers in our ears that Anthony Carell is still alive and terrifying the countryside. When we ask him for one teeny little bit of proof, the little sucker vanishes in a puff of smoke. Anthony Carell. Oh, redhead, you can do better than that. Yeah, when I got outside on Jackson Street, it did seem kind of silly. What was so silly about that car trying to run me down last night? What was so silly about Charlie under a white sheet in the basement of that morgue? 
Oh, I had enough questions in my head to start a quiz show, but not enough answers to win a yo-yo. I knew a good place to ask questions, though. And I had to start asking questions fast. Something was happening, something big, and it was happening to me. I took a cab out to the brownstone house on Wentworth Street where all this began. Come on, you're going to have to open up sometime, baby doll. Ah. Please, go away, Mr. Shane. In a little while, Marina, honey. Please, I'm in mourning. Have some respect. Sure, I'll take off my hat. Inside. What do you want? Why are you so scared? I'm not scared. Tell that little nerve in your cheek. It's twitching overtime. Look, I want to know about Anthony Carell. No, please, no. Yes, please, yes. It's so shame I was rather glad when I saw you coming up the stairs. Yeah? Yes, really I was. I had trouble forgetting you, Michael. Oh, doctor, I'll turn off the warm water. I'd love to, but I can't. Oh, about Anthony Carell. Why do you bother with something that does not concern you? That's just it, doctor. It concerns me clear up to here. Last night, somebody tried to run me down. Later on, they killed an old man who wanted to tell me something. Look, I've been in this business a long time. My nerves are like radar, and they're sending out all kinds of danger signals. I'm on somebody's list. Oh, I'm not one of those stories. I'll take that out, girl. I've got to know what I'm fighting. I cannot help you. You've got to. No. Okay. Mind if I use the phone? Who are you calling? The Daily Bulletin. i got a pal working in the city room. I'm going to tell him Marina LaRue of 1612 Wentworth Street says Anthony Carell was responsible for the death of a father. Uh, Bulletin? Let me speak to Fraser in the city room. You give him the phone? No. Oh, you can't do this. They kill me. I'm fighting for my own neck, honey. Hello. Hello, Fraser. This is Mike Shane. Yeah, I think i got a story I for you. I tell you what, Shane. Goodbye, Fraser. Okay, I'll go. You. Yes. I tell you to go out, try to do something about it, the way men have done for a hundred years. And if they find you at all, they find branded into your flesh, they call it snake. The mark of Anthony Carell. Just as they have found you, not the other. Who is this guy, Anthony Carell? You have heard of Madame Lorette? Madame Lorette? Sure, wasn't she supposed to be some kind of big shot in the voodoo racket around New Orleans? She was the voodoo queen more than a century ago. Yeah? In the 1820s, she married another voodoo worshiper, a man already old, to come to New Orleans for my age. He was the greatest of them all. His name was Anthony Kyle. And this guy who's causing all the trouble today, he's his descendant, huh? Descend on your fool, don't you understand? It is the same man. But that couldn't be. Why do you think we're all in such terror of him? He cannot die. Do you know what that means? Hey, hey, he cannot die. His food has been watched. Carl, he was hiding in, had been shot at. Once the house he was staying in was dynamited. Men stood at every door with guns. In less than a week, the blood were dying one by one. And on their foreheads. The snake branded Anthony Kyle. That's crazy. That is the story, Mr. Shane. Believe it, don't believe it as you wish. What does this big shot look like? No living man has ever seen his face. There are no pictures. And who takes care of it? The Carroll clan, one generation after another. Today, there are only two left. One, Philippe. They do Anthony Carroll's work. Collect his tribute. One and Philippe. Where do they live? I don't know. I don't know. I've told you everything I know. What else do you want? What else do you want? What else do I want? A little while ago, you said you had trouble forgetting me. Well? Come here, doll girl. I don't want you to forget it. After I left Marina, I went to the library and spent half the day looking up the old history books of New Orleans. Madame Lorette and Anthony Carell were in every one. And every book agreed that Madame had died in 1845. There was no mention of Anthony Carell ever having died at all. 
and I called an old guy I knew over at the Bureau of Records. I told him I was looking for the death certificate of one Anthony Carell. He laughed over the phone, asked me if I was falling for that old story. But three hours later, he called me back. Yeah? Chang, this is the Bureau of Records. Well? You were right. There is no death certificate for Anthony Carell. I ate a couple of drinks after that. Then I started walking the streets. My head throbbed. Felt like a guy trapped in a nightmare, trying with all his might to wake up out of it. Around midnight, I found a small park near Jackson Square and sat down on a bench trying to think of an answer. May I sit down, Mr. Shane? Huh? Oh, yeah, sure. Hey, how come you know my name? Oh, you are a very famous man, Mr. Shane. Known particularly for your tenacity. Thanks. What do you want? Mr. Shane, it's very unfortunate that you saw fit to interest yourself in Anthony Carrell. Oh? Why? Because now I must kill you. I felt the bullet smash against me. But at first it was so little pain, that same crazy feeling of maybe it's a dream came back. I lunged for the guy trying to get hold of his gun hand. Like wrestling with an octopus. He was soft and wet skinned, a neat little fella. He even wore cologne. It was slipping out of my reach. I jumped up and started running. I said the first prayer that came to my mind Catholic, Hebrew, Episcopalian, who cared? I saw a row of shrubbery and dived in. And that bullet had been real, all right. My side was beginning to ache like a whole mouthful of sore teeth. My friend with the gun came so close to the brush I could smell his sweet, stinking cologne. I remembered a couple of other prayers and something must have worked. The sirens started sobbing the blues far off, and the guy beat it. He climbed into a little black coupe, hopped at the curb, pulled away, but he was playing it very safe. It was a long stoplight at the corner, and he waited for every second of it. A nice, law-abiding, perfumed young man. There was a parking lot half a block down the street, and I ran for it. And as I ducked in, I saw the light on the corner change, the black coupe to down Canal Street. I hopped into the first car and turned on the ignition. A sleepy-eyed attendant came out of a little shed, and I kicked the starter. Got your ticket, mister! Hey, come back! Come back! I wasn't so law-abiding. I went down side streets like somebody lit a fuse. Yeah, just like in the movies, except my, my side hurt, my shirt felt sticky and warm, and I was sick to my stomach. When I was sure no cops were following me, I cut back to Canal Street, and pretty soon I saw the black group again, still obeying all the laws. Now we're on the outskirts of town, along the wharves that reached out into the Gulf. The black coupe picked up speed. I picked up speed. Oh, it was a long ride through a little country road that stretched through the bayous. Once I managed to slip my hand into my shirt and made the happy discovery, my wound felt a lot worse than it really was. Yeah, and I had another good break. In the dashboard compartment, I found a pint of bourbon that had hardly been touched. Oh, I touched it good. It was almost as fine as a blood transfusion. And then before I knew it, the black coupe had turned into a driveway. I went on a few hundred yards, pulled up under some trees, and turned the lights off. It was a battered, weather-beaten farmhouse, standing all by itself in the middle of nothing. The windows were boarded up. Everything about it said nobody home except the black coupe. I snuck around the back. The screen door was open. I walked across a porch and almost knocked over a row of milk bottles. I tried the back door. The door was open. Oh, no, I wasn't having any. You didn't have to be a quiz kid to know what this setup was. I started back across the porch. I reached the screen door, and then I stopped. The only sound in all the world was a mosquito buzzing like mad in the darkness. Hey, Shane, where are you going? Oh, I realized I'd said that out loud. And it giggled to myself. I rubbed my head. It was hot then. Bullet hole. Maybe I was already getting delirious. Yeah. But where was I going? Back to little New Orleans? For what? The cops wouldn't listen to me. To them, I was just a big-nosed redhead out for a quick buck. 
And my sweet-smelling friend had slipped up twice now. I went back to town, he came after me again, and he was just about due for the jackpot. No. Well, there was no place to go except inside the house. I picked up one of the milk bottles. Me and my homogenized blackjack. I went back to the door. Pushed it open. Went into the kitchen. Everything dark. I could just make out some dishes on the sink. The place smelled of bad, greasy cooking. Then I found another door. Now I was in a short hallway that led to a flight of stairs. Not a sound at all. I'd even been glad to hear that mosquito. Stairs. Started up a step at a time. Slow. Easy. Slow. Easy. And when I was close to the top, there was something about the darkness that looked wrong. Real close to me, I smelled sweet cologne. I spun around and started down the stairs fast, but it was all wasted. At the foot of the stairs, a cigarette glowed in the dark. I was boxed in real nice. The guy downstairs spoke first. So this is Mr. Shane Watts. Yes, this is him, Philippe. Juan and Philippe. The brothers Carell. And where is old man Anthony? You have come for Anthony. Well, he is in the last room at the end of the hall, but I don't think you will reach him. I think you are going to die on those stairs. Keep coming up the steps, Mr. Shane. Yeah. Yeah, sure. How's this? Oh, look out! I lunched at him. There was a swirl of cologne. I brought the milk bottle down hard and one crumpled on the floor. Nice as you please. Behind me, I heard Philippe coming up after me. I raced down the hall. I tried the first door. Locked. The second door. Oh, locked. The third door was unlocked. I opened it and slammed it shut behind me. I snapped the lock. Oh, friend Philippe was at a door breaking through. I did the first thing that came to my mind. I picked up a chair and smashed it through the window. And then I got to a corner as the door flung open. Philippe came into the room holding his gun. He headed straight to the broken window. He stood looking out of it into the darkness for a long time. Don't get away, Mr. Shane. His back was to me. I started for him. His side was throbbing again. My throat was so dry you could have struck matches on it. Something must have warned Philippe. He started turning around. I brought the milk bottle down hard. He staggered, fell to his knees, got up and started clawing at my legs. I went into a deep purple fog. When I came out of it, Philippe was very quiet. The milk bottle was broken into a thousand pieces. I, I sat down on the chair. I felt about as peppy as a Floridora girl. And then I remembered. Anthony Carell, the man who couldn't die, was down the hall. I went over to Philippe and dug around until I found his gun. He groaned a little bit, that's all. I went back out into the hall. The last room at the end of the hall. I started toward it. Then in front of the door, I saw one. I, I will not let you in this room. He wasn't able to stand up. He was on his knees in front of the door, and his mouth hung open as though he didn't have the strength to close it. For five generations, he has been our strength. With him, we've been able to rule everyone. I will not let you destroy him. And then I saw the gun in his hand. I saw him try to raise it. I shot three times. He collapsed in the heap. Even while dying, he wasn't going to let me into that room. As I reached for the knob, with his last strength, Juan flung his arm up and wildly tried to block me. What was there in that room that a guy would die like this just to protect? I reached for the knob and raised my gun. I entered the room, slowly, looked around. Then I realized why Juan and Felipe tried so hard to keep me out of here. Then I realized why Anthony Carell would not die, why he could not be killed. 
There was no Anthony Carell. The room was empty. Yeah. Yeah, that was the story of Anthony Carell. He'd lived and died in his own time just as any man. But the Carell clan, knowing the power of fear, had made it appear that the old man was still alive and kicking. Oh, I wonder how many people go through life being afraid of empty rooms. Well, as soon as I got back to town that night, I went to the emergency hospital and had myself pasted together. Then I called on Marina LaRue. I told her all about Anthony Carell. When I finished, she didn't say a word. Just came over and looked at me a long time, and she kissed me. After a while, I began to realize that trip to the hospital was wasted. Moreno was so much better than penicillin. Well, that wraps up another Radio Detective Story Hour. Remember, you can send your comments to me at otrpodcast at gmail.com. That's otrpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.